Long days and pleasant nights to you folks. This week's guest is Liz Mealy, and she is a stand-up comedian, writer, and showrunner for the Damage series that you can watch on YouTube, which I watched all of, and it is very good. We have a wonderful conversation about mental health and how to help people who have it and how to be a strong advocate for them and our mental health care system and what can be better. As always, all of the podcasts here at Wayward Worthness are completely listener-supported, so please go to patreon.com slash waywardwordsmithsco if you have an interest in helping us out. And without further ado, this fine interview with Liz Mealy. Where in New Jersey are you from? Right outside of Princeton. All right. Um, Is there judgment there? Felt no. Judgment. No, 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 no. I don't know anything about like the two, like the two or three times I've been to New Jersey, it's been absolutely delightful. So yeah. I do not understand. It depends on where you go, and yeah. it's, anything is delightful for four hours. <laughs> I try not to go there more than four hours. That's fair. But I, I mean, I'm in the pretty part. I'm like, um, I grew up like right outside. Of, I was in Princeton, then right outside of Princeton, then my parents are back in Princeton again. So it's okay. like, you know, there's trees and old money and, you know. <laughs> and old money growing like, on trees. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then it's like a lot of farms and shit. Sure. So like, it's just like most people think of like right outside of New York, like Newark and, mm-hmm. and like, yeah, like Newark, mm-hmm. like Camden. <laughs> like there's... Trenton, you know, mm. my dad used to talk about Trenton like it was like old New York, and now Trenton is like where I got drugs in high school. <laughs> <laughs> like it's All right. And you started stand-up when you were like really, really young, like 16, right? Mm-hmm. I started when I was 16. I, I got into it when I was like, I think I was like 13, 14. I don't, it's all a blur. Okay. Slash, I don't remember a lot of my childhood. All right. But it, I just discovered it, mm-hmm. and I always wanted to be funny, but when I discovered stand-up, I was like, oh, but it's like so much less work. <laughs> if you just do it this way. <laughs> so I was like, I want to do this. And, um, and yeah, I, I, I started writing when I was 14 and then like passing my jokes to friends in hallways and slowly kind of calibrating a yeah. set. And then I started doing it when I was 16 mm-hmm. and I, I didn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like sl- like a slight addiction. Yep. <laughs> that is fair. That is fair. Um, and, so did you start like going to open mics or was there a club in your town? How did, what was that I, about? I went straight to the city. There was oh, a, really? there was a guy, I don't know how much stand up he still does. We, um, we were, we lost touch years ago, but we were friends for a while, but he, we went to the same high school. He dropped, I would have been a freshman when he was a senior, but mm-hmm. he dropped out junior year. So he was just this guy that worked at a toy store that my best friend also worked at. Okay. He like, managed a toy store down the street from the high school. <laughs> all right. And she asked, he, she knew he did stand-up mm-hmm. and asked him all this advice. So like she bought me the stand-up book when I was like 15 and like was just like, you should talk to this guy. And keep in mind, like looking back, it's silly because I was getting notes from a guy that's been doing stand-up for like a year and a half. <laughs> but like when you're 15 and this person's 17 and they do stand-up, you're like, whatever yeah. you say is clearly, you are the ticket to stand-up livelihood. For sure. So he, like, gave me a lot of advice, and his whole thing was, like, do shows in New York. So I did a bringer show for my first show. Like, I brought five friends to the Mm -hmm. Comedy Cellar of all places. Um, And I did this bringer show um, when I was 16. And then from there, I just started doing open mics and Mm -hmm. other bringer shows until I ran out of friends and then more (laughs) open mics. And 
Sure. You know, and then I don't think they do it as much anymore, but I used to hand out a lot of flyers. Like I used yeah. to bark for stage time, which, I mean, I think there's still people that kind of do that, but it doesn't seem as prevalent as it was when I started, which is like that was the easiest way to go from open mics. It was like the, it was almost like an extra in between between open mics and guest spots. Like you could mm-hmm. work for stage time. And I did that from 16 to like 19. Wow. Just like a lot of like all my free time. And I would come into the city. I, I don't think I even did a Jersey gig until like after I moved to New York. <laughs> I just, that's where people said that you were to go and I would just go into the city. Sure. Every weekend. Um, and uh, what was it like? I mean, like, cause there's a lot of like very damaged people in, in stand-up comedy. And what was that like being a young person growing up with that was like there was this weird vibe or were you did you feel safe what was that like damaged people is a very nice way of putting that that was very (laughs) (laughs) um uh uh, in a lot of ways it was the first time i connected with people Uh uh-huh you know i mean i i i had kind of these loose friendships in high school and these people that i slowly kind of built a relationship with but it was built and it was slow and it was, you know, it's also being a teenager and insecure and stuff. Um, whatever brand of crazy brings comedy into it, mm-hmm. I, it feels like a blanket of happiness. Yeah. Like it's just, I clicked so easily with so many people of various ages and backgrounds. And it's, it to me, it was a, a unifier. So I don't know. I, I meshed with so many people so easily. And I mean, some of it was, you know, I'm a 16 year old girl. And I think a lot of people um, knew that vulnerability more than I did and yeah. um, kind of took me under their wing and were really kind to me um, mm-hmm. and looked out for me. So it was the first time I felt seen and acknowledged and valued wow. and uh, protected. Like my dad was overprotective and my mom didn't care so there was like this extreme in my house Mm -hmm. that i felt like stand-up was the first time that i got the amount of attention that i wanted yeah and in the right places Mm -hmm. um but yeah everybody is batshit crazy (laughs) like and like both in both the positive and negative sense so you meet a lot of people that you're like this is why you need a level of insanity to be good at this. Mm-hmm. And then there's a couple of people where you're like, you can be too insane to function mm-hmm. and these people need help. Like mm-hmm. you really do see like people that are on the verge of like, they might yeah. hurt somebody. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think it's interesting that you're like the right amount of attention, which is a group full of strangers. But it's also like, you, you I think you very much correct in as much as like, it's, it's very validating to do stand up in as much as like, it's you on stage. So if people like you, they like you. They don't yeah. like this idea or whatever. Yeah. And so that must have been very nice, specifically as a teenager. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, I'm one of five kids. Oh, okay. I, I'm the second oldest. I helped raise my little brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first thing I ever did for myself. Yeah. Ever. Wow. You know, and, um, you know, I always tell people, like, you don't... <laughs> You don't absorb the right amount of love if you have to talk to strangers for yeah. a living. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's something severely wrong with you. Yeah. Um, and sure. I and I think I got into stand up for I would say like seventy percent of the wrong reasons. Yeah. But now I think it's flipped in a lot of ways. Like okay. I think doing it, getting healthier, being in therapy, understanding, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of falling love in love with stand up for 
other reasons. Like I always loved the craft of it. I always, I mean, I was always, I think when you don't know how something works, you fall in love with um, how that makes, how people would look at you if you did that kind of thing. Like mm -hmm. I think, you know what I mean? It's like the way you would look at like, um, like for me, like a pretty girl or like a handsome guy or somebody that has a lot of money or whatever, whatever it is and go, oh, if I had that, people would perceive me this way. Yeah. So I think I was this really lonely, sad kid mm -hmm. that saw these people getting attention in a way that I was like, oh, that would fix everything. <laughs> sure. And then I got it and I was like, it, it doesn't. <laughs> it, fixes, <laughs> it fixes very little. Um, but now that I, and I, I I definitely was, I studied it. Like, I mean, I've read mm -hmm. every, like, you know, now you can listen to any podcast and you can hear any comedian talk about how they got from A to B. But, you know, when I yeah. started, you know, you could read some joke books, like, you know, mm -hmm. Seinfeld had a book of just his jokes and, you know, Sinbad had a joke of his books and yeah. like Bill Maher had this like book that he wrote about comedians that was kind of true but not true and like <laughs> you know you could read kind of biographies like you know margaret Cho started mm -hmm. when she was 15 and wow you know dave Chappelle started when he was 14 there was yeah. definitely people that started young that i kind of looked up to so mm -hmm. i'd read anything i could read and i would kind of scour the internet but there wasn't there wasn't the amount of information there is today but i got enough to know that it was going to take 10 years to mm -hmm. develop your voice and it was a long road and it was a sad road and <laughs> it was a hard road and that didn't deter me from the beginning mm -hmm. let alone when i hit 10 years and i was yeah. still like oh they were right <laughs> they, were, they were all right um uh -huh. so i think you know i think i got into it and for a lot of unhealthy reasons but as i kind of you know the way people talk about an arranged marriage like you kind of like grow <laughs> you grow to love you grow to love the toxicity <laughs> a little bit and you're like this isn't what i would have picked but i i do <laughs> i do love this but i'm in it now this yeah is who i no, am it's, i have no other skills <laughs> there's nowhere to go that's <laughs> 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 uh, that's we, just, so we both just start crying yeah, just, oh god uh, um <laughs> And how have you been able to track how your your comedic voice has changed from like the onset of like joke writing when you were like 15, 16? And like how how has that been? How does that feel to be like when you reflect on that? And how weird is that? Because I'm just kind of starting out, and I'm yeah. very curious as to. What well, that's it's interesting. Like. Uh, Julia Rossi has this show called First Sets, where sure. they um, they have you do your current set that you're working on, uh -huh. and then they show footage of your first set. So mine was on a VHS tape oh, that she wow. got turned into a. You know, I, it was a time capsule for me. Yeah. I hadn't seen it in a long time. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting is she only showed like a couple of minutes. Um, and this was like that Bringer Show Comedy Cellar set I did yeah. when I was 16. But um, it was interesting. She goes, you know, watching it when I was you know uploading it. And then watching your set you did tonight, mm -hmm. same topics. <laughs> and she was right. I talked about my dad forcing me to go to therapy. I talked about mm -hmm. not liking my family. I talked about not liking myself. I talked mm -hmm. about trouble dating. Everything I said in my current set. Like, <laughs> and honestly, if you listen, so I have two albums out and I'm in the middle of, you know, kind of finishing up a third one. Mm -hmm. Congrats on all of that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It's like, That's a who knows what will come of it, but they are, they are, also time capsules yes and if you would like to open them mm -hmm. listeners yep. this <laughs> you is may. me yeah yeah this is me at that time mm -hmm. and kind of i've grown since yeah a little 
But it is interesting because I would say the same thing with like an album, you know, the album I came out with a year ago and the album I came out with three years ago and material I wrote before that. Like I seem to still mull over the same like five to eight topics, Mm -hmm. but the maturity of how I approach them both comedically and as a person Mm -hmm. is what has evolved. So, you know, there's a lot of like, I don't know what I'm doing in mm-hmm. the beginning and the the I'm a lost person is where a lot of that comedic voice was and now it's like I'm a very like I understand like I'm still a lost person but I understand it mm-hmm. and that's kind of weird because truthfully that's what reading and getting older and experiences and therapy have mm-hmm. given me so I'm less sad and confused as a human mm-hmm. but then that voice has gotten put through my comedy so mm-hmm. what's weird is you know I'm 32 now and I have confidence yeah. like I have self-esteem like I don't know if I would have said I didn't have self-esteem when I was a kid but clearly I didn't mm-hmm. but like I there's things that like I even remember when I started therapy eight years ago I was like well how do you get said self-esteem <laughs> like you know what I mean like what store do we go to yeah <laughs> um And even when she was trying to explain it to me, I still felt like this thing that I could never get or like Mm self-awareness or like emotional growth or, you know, not being triggered by certain events. Like Mm -hmm. it was all these things that like, even as I started to understand what my emotional issues were, I still felt trapped by them because I didn't Mm -hmm. know how to get from, you know, there's this window of not knowing it, but knowing Mm -hmm. that something is wrong. Mm -hmm. Then there's this knowing that what is wrong, but you can't fix it. And then the next step is like, fixing it or like starting to fix it and then certain things don't trigger you anymore Mm -hmm. or you don't get upset or you know you know you don't you you look back and you're like oh i would have gotten upset about that years ago and it wasn't even it didn't even bother me Mm -hmm. so i would say the same thing kind of happened with my stand-up where Mm -hmm. you know i I was on the subway a couple days ago coming back from a show and i heard these two guys talking and they were clearly comics because they were like talking about like joke structure. And the guy was like, you should do this and this. And the whole thing was like how to write a joke and how to get better. Mm-hmm. And I found it so fascinating because I, I, you know, I might talk to my friends where I'm like, oh, this line isn't working and I'm going to try this. And what do you think of this? But like how to be funny mm-hmm. is not a conversation I've had. Huh. And I can't even think of how long Yeah. because that's not the comedic problems I have yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean like it, it's like it, it's so fascinating to me that like all I wanted to be when I was younger was funny yeah and now I legitimately have it like yeah. it sounds kind of silly to you know it's not this tangible thing but but, but it is like it's the thing mm-hmm. you people walk away from when they meet me at a party it's the mm-hmm. thing people walk away from when they watch a video or like it yeah. is my essence whether you meet me at a deli or you come to a show yeah so now what the problems are is like how do i portray who i truly am and how do Mm -hmm. i be who i am off stage on stage and how do i how am i scripted and unscripted at the same time like how do i be the purest version of myself whether i'm performing or not performing yeah and it becomes different challenges yeah so it's like I don't. It's a long-winded answer to be like it's it's a slow growth that you don't yeah. you don't actually see pinpoint when this got better. But mm-hmm. I can I can I can now look back and be like, oh, I haven't worried about if if something isn't funny, I know I can make it funny. Yeah, 
like the problem isn't it won't it the problem is how much effort am I going to put into it or how much time or do I really care about this topic or is this truly myself but like it's never like will this get funnier yeah <laughs> which is like you know it's like oh I, I never thought I would get to a place where I could be like hey, I got this <laughs> <laughs> well that's great <laughs> very happy for you and I think you're very successful at being funny well, so thank you yeah it means nothing yep. <laughs> <laughs> I really invested a lot of time into something that isn't important <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that I think I think joy is very important to bring to the world and laughter yeah. is joy and so you're doing a good thing i think it is important but also since nothing is important because we're all nothing and yeah. done, nothing matters yeah. therefore everything matters positive nihilism though yeah yeah it's totally. your impact yeah in brief moments of time i always but think if the apocalypse happens nobody cares that i can make light of the situation <laughs> they're all like do you know how a light bulb works we have to remake them yep <laughs> And I'm like, no, I was dicking around in yep. science class. Oh, man. I have no idea. I've th had that same thought. It's like, well, hopefully there will be a call for storytellers because, <laughs> like, anyone who makes movies, yeah, they're yeah. fucked. Yeah. We can talk. We can talk and that be there. That is true. We can I'm a good organizer. Mm -hmm. I can organize. There's definitely, sure. like, subcategories of skills that I have built as a comic because mm -hmm. you're never just purely a comic. Like, you have to have a mailing list and you have to, like, nobody realizes yeah. that, like, oh. I still book, like, I have, um, I don't have my agent anymore, but I have a UK agent mm -hmm. um, overseas. I have a college agent. I have a manager. I have all, mm -hmm. like, I have a team, essentially. I sure. still book 90% of my shows. Yeah. I still, you know, I'm the person that's doing my taxes. I'm the person that's, you know, yeah. promoting my albums. Like, there's mm -hmm. people that I might hire for windows of time. And there's people that might help me here and there. But mm -hmm. it's still 15 years in, and I'm doing most of it. So there is a lot of skills. I know how to write a great business email. I know how to mm -hmm. take nothing and make it look like something. Yes. Like, there's a lot of bullshit that I've learned that I think it can help in a slight apocalypse. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what sure. happens. I'll let you know if these skills really do help. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I will be right there with you going, I can really edit a yeah. Wix site. Yeah. I am very good at just it. Say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you're primarily a comedian, and I'm going to be really honest with you. Um, I sat and I watched all of Damaged. Oh, yay. I, and it's really good. And what, where the hell did that come from? I want to know. Yeah. Because it's so good. And oh, I want to know. Makes, that makes me happy. Well, see if uh, my dream is that someday when I completely have given up on it, something <laughs> will happen with it. Sure. Um, <laughs> basically, I went through like a really bad breakup uh, eight years ago which okay. is kind of crazy to say. And that's around the same time you entered therapy? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah okay. very much so. Yeah. Um, good, mm -hmm. good work. Um, Aha, Sherlock. Yeah. So, Sherlock. So I went through this bad breakup. We lived mm -hmm. together um, for six months. He stopped talking to me two days after we moved in together. Oh, my God. And it was, like, rough for all the reasons. We had dated for three years. It started to fall apart very rapidly. Um, and I was then living with him, and it was not good. And... Um, mm -hmm. um, I was spinning out like I didn't know how to handle it and you know um, I, I, d I had no skills um, I was already kind of not in the best mental place um, before this happened and both my boyfriend at the time and my best friend kind of were like you need to see a therapist and yeah. it was like the first time that I was like okay if these two people love me think I should go 
maybe I should, you know, put down my defenses and go. So yeah. I saw this woman for a little bit and it helped to kind of just dump, but she wasn't a very good therapist. She was like yeah. basically a, a paid, you know, sounding board. Yeah. But she didn't give anything back. So I stopped after a couple of months. Mm-hmm. So in between that, this uh, relationship fell apart. And while he wasn't talking to me or hanging out with me, I had a lot of free time uh-huh. and I was really sad. And I felt really broken. Two great things. That yeah. Great together. Yeah. And a beautiful apartment that we mm-hmm. got together. And I really miss oh. it. It was gorgeous. Um, oh, that's got to be the worst. You're alone. You feel bad. But everything around you is so. Oh, my kitchen was so nice. Oh, God. These really big windows. It was uh-huh. in like um, Prospect Heights. Oh. I'm sure it's like unaffordable now. Yeah. It was like right when Prospect Heights was starting to be like livable. Mm-hmm. And like there's like like uh, the tr- like so many train options. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but like it was a, like it was an old. Um, they basically took all these old hospitals and turned them into apartment buildings. Wow! So these huge, like huge ceilings. Mm-hmm. Like there, I I'm barely over five foot. There was no reason for these <laughs> ceilings, but I loved it so much. So it was a very loft like apartment. Yeah. Um, Lofty, if you will. Yeah, and I'm sad thinking about the loss of this apartment. Not even the relationship, because I'm over it. But um, <laughs> but the apartment, though. But I'm in this apartment by myself. Yeah. He started working a lot and not talking to me and not mm-hmm. spending time with me. And it felt like nothing was going anywhere. And my career wasn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, babysitting this rich kid. And I've always loved animation. And I felt extremely alone and broken. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this was all my fault and there's something wrong with me. Um, so, you know, I have my issues, I have my mental issues, I have, you know, my, my I'm dyslexic, um, you know, I'm an intense person, as mm-hmm. people have described me, and... Um, and <laughs> That's always very polite. Yeah, and it's, it's, you're like, you have chosen your words to be a friend, and yes. I appreciate it. Yes. So I just kind of was sitting there, and I was just like, in this weird crossroads where I was like, I don't feel good about myself, but I do think I have value. And it was about, I decided, I, I don't know, I've always liked robots mm-hmm. and I've always felt like a kinship because I'd never, even though I talked about myself on stage, I never really expressed myself to my friends or people close to me. Yeah. So it's like, I always felt like this kind of cold exterior, mm-hmm. but I had all this like, you know, truth inside me. And so I always liked robots. So I wrote about these two broken robots that were adopted by humans. It's like way mm-hmm. in the future where robots and humans uh, go to school together. And, you know, they got, you know, like anything, if you're a robot that got adopted by a rich family, they would fix you up and you would be like this badass robot. But these kids were adopted by like a middle class family. They didn't really, you just had to deal with the fact that your arm doesn't work today. Like, I don't want to tell you, like mm-hmm. walk it off, which mm-hmm. is kind of how my family worked. Um, and it was just kind of supposed to be this cartoon about, and it's like a kid's cartoon, like just, you know, even though you're kind of broken, you still have value in other ways. And sometimes your broken parts is actually what makes you special. Yeah. And um, it was really cathartic because it was like, I mean, I came up with the idea during that breakup. Um, I wrote a full pilot script um, while I was homeless because <laughs> mm. uh, it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> And then I started like, it's fun because there's now like great websites to kind of get this going a little quicker because there's like Fiverr and all this other stuff. Yeah. But like, I liked Etsy. So like I found a guy to design my characters for free on Etsy. Wow. And then um, I did a Kickstarter, mm-hmm. literally like living in my friend's apartment in LA. Cause I was like, I'll just go to LA if I'm going to be homeless. It's just prettier. <laughs> um, and I started a Kickstarter and I just needed, I found these um, animators. Uh, one guy was a fan of mine. He was a college student in Maryland. And then he got his buddy who just graduated and they, these two college kids um, 
did the animation for the first half, and then as you watch it, I went through like six animators in yeah. a year. It changed a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I got it done. But basically, the original budget for the Kickstarter was like, I think like a little over 5000 I ended up doubling the amount of money I got, and I got all the money. I made all the money I needed in like three days. Like wow. it was like a like I was on the cover of the Kickstarter, I was on the cover of anything that was animation or kids. Like people seemed to like really like the idea mm -hmm. even before it was a full cartoon. And then it's like uh, 12 two minute episodes, the whole thing makes my pilot. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, I'm proud of it. I mean, yeah. I, I would have liked it. I think if I didn't have so many losing my animator problems, I would have done mm -hmm. a second season and I would have continued with it. But it was, it kind of took over my life yeah. in a way that, um, for not only not making money, but I ended up having to put more money into it. Every time I lost an animator, they, yeah. they were like, I can't, that's not enough money for me to do this. And I was yeah. like, but I need to finish. Yeah. I have backers. <laughs> um, so the amount of money I put in and the amount of stress, it just like was this thing that was like two minutes once a month and it took over my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it so much. And I, I mean, I have, I have an outline for like 10 seasons. <laughs> wow. Like I'm yeah. emotionally invested in it. And, um, I love my characters, and I. It's funny. I this girl, um, this girl came upon this twelve-year-old girl came upon my. I did a um, a seminar for the dyslexic advantage. It's this book, and they, mm -hmm. you know, it's this thing for dyslexic um, people, and they put my twenty-minute talk online. So I get, I would say, half the emails I get is from this conference I did, mm -hmm. and this twelve-year-old girl found it and a couple of jokes that I wrote about dyslexia, and she's like, "You're awesome. I want to meet you," and I was like. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the most I've ever rewrote a tweet in my life because I was like, "How do you ask a twelve-year-old girl where she lives without sounding <laughs> the creepiest person?" I don't care if yeah. you're a woman or not; it's just creepy. Yes, yes. But I asked her, and she was like, oh, "I'm Staten Island." I was like, "I'm Brooklyn." You know, if you come to the city, I'm happy to, you know, with the parental figure, let's yeah. go get some hot chocolate or bubble tea or something. Yeah, yeah. So I met her last week, and she hadn't seen my cartoon, but I was like, I was like. I hope she hasn't seen my stand-up. It's not appropriate. <laughs> um, but I gave her, like, I still have all these damaged posters and pins yeah. and stickers. So I just gave her all this stuff, and I was like, hey, this is kind of about being dyslexic. You should watch it. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, hopefully she'll check it out because yeah. that's, it, the demographic was, like, you know, 9 to 12-year-olds. That's like, wonderful. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it because I'm not – I just like cartoons. Like, yeah. And not just, like, I've always loved, like, you know – um, everybody loves, like, Simpsons and mm -hmm. South Park and you know, Rick and Morty's amazing. But, like, I – there's a show called Chowder on Cartoon yeah. Network that was brilliant. Like the yeah. first season was so good, and mm. me and my brother got into Gravity Falls. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. I'm sad that it's gone. Yeah. I I hope you know the guy that created it continues to do stuff. I just thought that was such a brilliant show. Agreed. I don't. It doesn't matter what age you are. Mm -hmm. And then of course you know Adventure Time was really great. After a while, I was like, I stopped doing drugs. I can't. Continue <laughs> Every time fair. I watched a kid watch it, I would like interview him. I'm like, what do you like about Adventure yeah. Time? Like, I know what I like. Yeah. But what do you you like yeah. <laughs> because it confuses me how many kids loved that yeah. and I was like this is an adult show yeah this is an adult show but do you watch Steven Universe at all you know my brother got me into it it took okay. me a while because I right. don't like Steven that's fair he's I, a little obnoxious yeah I don't like him although mm. my brother is Steven <laughs> that might be why yeah and I love him with my whole heart yeah uh, but I can also be like Sam, Steven, shut up. Um, <laughs> but um, it took me a while. Yeah. And I do, we're we're not progressing as fast as my brother would like. Because mm -hmm. usually, like, my brother comes to hang out with me um, 
when I'm home, which is not as often as I'd like, but we'll sit and we'll binge watch a couple. And keep in mind, he's like guiding me through it because yeah. he's seen all of them. Mm-hmm. And he guided my other sister through them, like the whole, like how many seasons. And now he's sitting there. And it was funny because mm-hmm. when it first came out, I was really emotionally invested in it because it was written by a woman mm-hmm. and, um, you know, a lot of female characters. And I think yeah. it was like the first, yeah. like, head writer or something or created by a woman. There was a mm-hmm. lot of, like, I just remember there's a lot of buzz because it was like lady, lady, lady stuff. Yes. And cartoons. Of course, all the stuff I'm emotionally invested in are like male dominated fields. So it was just that was very exciting. But I think I watched an episode when it first came out and I was like, well, sometimes ladies don't do things right. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I don't like this. (laughs) I will agree with you. The first like season is like a little weird and rough. Yeah, but it it does grow on you. Yeah, it builds. Yeah. And it's like, you know, give it that first Seinfeld Mm. season. Buckle down. Believe in people. So I I have Mm -hmm. to say now that I've watched. I think I finished the first season. I can't mm-hmm. even remember. I do like it a lot more. Yeah, and I think the more they incorporate music into yeah. it, the better it gets as yeah. well. And there's a couple, like there's an episode that is a musical episode, and oh, cool. it is very yeah. nice. Yeah. So I think mm-hmm. that it was just kind of like I think a big part of me making damaged was stand up felt a little hopeless at the time and yeah. my life in a, some ways. Like I was, you know, watching this rich kid and it was like a cushy job but it was also like not what I wanted to do and I mm-hmm. felt really like lost and and directionless with stand up and then this relationship wasn't working out and like I've always loved animation and I was like well I can just do this on my own and I can just do it and it was something else to focus on so that everything wasn't like well this isn't working out and this isn't working out it was like mm-hmm. one of these things that well if this doesn't work out nobody cares but me mm-hmm. and so I it actually was a really I've since then i've done so many other projects with that same thing in mind which is like i'm just going to do this for me and if mm-hmm. people like it great and if people don't then this was a really nice hobby yeah. that's now on the internet <laughs> <laughs> that's nice um and you mentioned your brother and he's the one that has the very is this the same brother that you mentioned in your set that has the very severe um, bipolar yeah so yeah. my my brother sammy i have um like I said, I have four siblings, so mm-hmm. um, I'm the second oldest. Sam is uh, uh, number four. Okay. Um, he's about nine years younger, and um, we're, I mean, he's like my best friend. I love yeah. him. I'm, I'm, I miss him a lot this year because this is, what I used to do is like once a month he would spend um, a weekend with me, almost like a divorced parent. <laughs> um, so he'd come to the city, and we would just, you know, he'd come yeah. to shows, and he used to, I mean, he used to come on the road with me a ton, like wow. in between being hospitalized when mm-hmm. he was in when he was in high school and college Mm -hmm. and then even now he's been good um you know um he hasn't Mm -hmm. had a psychotic break in two years (laughs) Um, that's excellent so up until honestly like this year once a month he would come and he would stay with me and we would do stuff where he'd come on the road with me but i've flown a lot more than i used to um this year and then i've been opening for my friend hurry kundabolu so a lot of times i'll share hotel rooms with him or we're like in a different place it's just kind of too much yeah um and then I just really have, I. somebody asked me like, you know, uh, do you want to get brunch one weekend? And I was like, I don't, I'm not home for a weekend until mid-January. Wow. And then even that, I'm, I mean, I feel fortunate because I'm like financially stable, but I'm pretty booked until the end of April. Wow. So it's um, good, but I don't know when I'll see my friends and family again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my, um, yeah, my brother, I mean, it's interesting because, um, I always ask his permission to talk about stuff. Like mm-hmm. I wrote um, 
I wrote a story that I did for the Risk pod- podcast. Oh, yeah. So I did that last September. And then I actually just found out they never aired it, but they're putting a book together, so they might put it in a book. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I was like, <laughs> I was like, in that case, why don't you just take what I wrote? Like, why? <laughs> like now it's now it's an essay. It's yeah. not a story, but it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see if something happens with that. But like that, I don't. I basically told him the premise of the essay, which was basically like it's about me, you know, always thinking that I was going to lose my mind, mm-hmm. and then you did, <laughs> and how devast how. And it sounds yeah. a little, you know, um, what's the word? Not dramatic, but like a little self-serving. Where mm-hmm. you're, you know, the whole point of the essay is that it's much harder to watch somebody lose their mind yeah. than to lose your own mind yeah sure and i still feel that way but there's i'm sure my brother would be like well, you should try it i've <laughs> <laughs> been in several hospitals um yeah they take away your shoelaces like yeah. prison um but it was it was i mean he is one of my favorite people yeah and each psychotic break was worse than the one before yeah. and the last one from two years ago i mean unanimously nobody thought he was going to come back like he wow. just was so he, my brother is such a like teddy bear of a human sure like he's just like this he's i don't know anybody that wouldn't like him because he's just so mm-hmm. friendly and gregarious and silly and full of facts like he almost feels like you could press a button and he would just come out with a fact like toenails mm-hmm. grow after you die like <laughs> he just he knows ev- he knows a little bit about everything yeah in this but like not even that like he knows an like almost a novel amount of each topic like he's mm-hmm. just insanely smart and um interesting and thoughtful and fun and caffeinated mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> and especially that last one he was you know cold and mean and zombie yeah. like like he went through every range of anything you've seen in a movie in a psych ward that was mm-hmm. my brother yeah. and it was heartbreaking yeah well, okay, let me let me frame it this way. What advice did, like, the doctors give you and that sort of thing when someone does go through that? Because I would imagine that's got to be very difficult to deal with them and all of a sudden your brother's not there anymore. Like, I mean, it's, it's hard because he was at different stages. Like, the okay. first time he had a psychotic break, he was at college, and I just sure. knew something was wrong. Mm-hmm. And, like, the thing about our family is mm-hmm. th- mental illness is in both sides of our family uh-huh. and both my grandmothers um, were in and out of mental hospitals and both my grandmothers mm-hmm. killed themselves. Oh, wow. So it's like, it's not like, you know, aunt, great aunt, da 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 da, you know, got divorced and got a little kooky mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we don't talk to her anymore. Yeah. It was like, it's like, it's s- severely on both sides of our family. Yeah. They were, you know, it's like, and it's, you know, I know more about my dad's grandmother um, than my 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 mom's mother. Although mm-hmm. I learned a lot as Sam was in and out of hospitals uh, because stuff comes out. Yeah, um, information gets. But my mom never. My mom's not a very um, open person when it comes to that stuff or a lot of stuff. Um, but I knew when he because I would you know I would Facetime with him and Skype with him and he was just very like militant and mm-hmm. like talking about shit in a crazy way like he just wasn't bubbly and he was angry Mm -hmm. and he was defensive and he was like not exaggerating like talking like he was gonna live in a van down by the river like like almost like a snl sketch just kind of batshit crazy and the thing is is like i feel bad i mean i feel fortunate in some ways because because mental illness runs in our family Mm -hmm. immediately was like Something's happening. This yeah. is the time that something would happen. Something's happening. Yeah. Rather than, like, I think in a lot of people's families, if they don't know about it, you just sound like an asshole. Like, he really <laughs> yes. did. He, like, oh, my brother went to college and he became an asshole. Like, yeah. 
but I I knew enough to know like something's wrong. Yeah. But I I didn't initially say anything because I didn't know what to do, and it wasn't until my parents went to like a like a back to like a back you know like. I don't know, like it was his first semester, like, yeah. you know, see how your kid's doing. And yeah. See how many drugs he does. <laughs> um, where like my brother, they basically, he sounded, smelled, and reacted like a homeless person. Wow. Like all his friends had left him, all his roommates had moved out. Keep in mind, like nobody was like, hey, something's wrong with Sam. They were just like, he's gross, we're leaving. <laughs> so he was like, he was like deranged. Like yeah. he thought like, he, you know, he he thought people were spying on him. He thought his teachers were out to get him. He thought mm-hmm. cameras were watching him. Like, yeah. like and it was i mean that was like kind of the beginning of it but like he kind of got out of it himself or like mm-hmm. it wasn't it was almost like a like a rolling psychotic break yeah i don't know if it works like ecstasy but <laughs> it was like it was it was weirdly fluid rather mm-hmm. than the ones that happened after that because yeah. when he was hospitalized because they basically say when you go on antipsychotics which he's been on several yeah it either makes them worse mm-hmm. or just the fact that each one you have makes it worse like they actually yeah. don't know yeah but everyone after but it was increasingly worse yeah so i mean i forget what the original question was which is like how did it feel what do- did the doctors say that i mean the thing? doctors it's funny because i'm not mm-hmm. i don't trust them and yeah. i don't like them and i mean that for every issue that's um not uncommon you know a couple of times sam got so bad you know he was he eventually moved i mean he moved in with me for a while he Mm -hmm. moved in with my little sister for a while eventually it got so bad he had to move home and twice he got picked up i mean he got picked up by the cops for trespassing for other reasons but he got picked up by the cops because at the house like my mom Mm -hmm. would call them so that they would take him to the mental hospital because he was that um kind of deranged but one time like my we learned a lot about the mental health system which is the worst i mean all of them are the worst but you know nobody told us that you know you call on a weekend he's not going to go straight into a mental hospital he's going to go into some kind of holding facility or if they don't have a bed they hold him in this holding facility until they find a bed and the bed could be you know near my parents in princeton or they could be you know in newark uh you know hours away um so they called on a weekend he was you know you know not manageable Mm -hmm. and the cops picked him up i will give my brother even when he was at his worst whenever the cops came he just okay (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean he he was angry but he didn't fight he was like Mm. all right fine we're doing this fine um and they knew him hey sam hey peter <laughs> like, it, was like, it was like it happened so much and it was such a small town uh-huh. <laughs> like he really was like the neighborhood crazy kid oh that's so <laughs> and then um but this one weekend they put him in a holding facility yeah. and they just drug the shit out of him oh, like no. he's like a like a rabid dog mm-hmm. so they drug him he they don't give him his phone they don't and then the other thing is because he was um over 18 Mm -hmm. they don't have to tell you where he goes so that's the other thing is they literally wouldn't tell you and then he's also crazy and all of a sudden he'll start hating my parents Mm -hmm. and so then he won't tell my parents Uh so then it became my responsibility because we were friends Mm -hmm. that i was always the one that was like hey sam if you could let me know where they're gonna take you and Mm -hmm. and then i have to feed that information to my parents and you know and then it's like but like you know he would he wasn't himself like if you 
in any way, if he thought you did something distrustful, he would just block you out. And wow. I mean, you could get him back by handing him cigarettes. That always <laughs> helped. Like, if you brought him cigarettes and his, like, favorite donut, you mm-hmm. were back in. But, <laughs> 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 but I, I mean, I... He... Those hospitals, I mean, the way the health system works is... is this is expensive. Yeah. Drug them, fix them, get them out. Yep. But f- fix them is a loose term. And so a lot of times they would give them antipsychotics, get them mood stabilizers. Mm-hmm. He would be less, you know, kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. But he'd come back and then he would relapse. Yeah. And then, you know, it would get worse. Or he would... um you know, every time he went in, he would beg to get out. And you don't want him there. Nobody wants him there. Mm-hmm. Um, but they won't release him until they believe he's stable. But the definition of stable is incredibly loose. And it's just throwing these drugs at him. And then keep in, keep in mind, like, everything you read about from, you know, uh, mental illnesses to autism to autoimmune disease, you cut out gluten. You cut out, you know, certain foods. You cut out mm-hmm. sugar. Whatever it is, there's certain foods that make these things and exacerbate them. Mm-hmm. They feed them hot dogs and, you know, yeah. cookies. And, like, I get that, you know, these people are not, you know, the the easiest to handle. But yeah. it's, like, make an effort to have some kind of <laughs> diet plan. Every Everything yeah. you read on the Internet says these things get exacerbated when they're handed junk food. And then mm-hmm. you feed them a diet of, like, McDonald's. Yeah. And it's, like... Yeah, of course they're not going to get better. You have, you've made no effort. You put, like, these drugs in, and they just basically want to spend the least amount of money mm-hmm. to stabilize them and then kick them out. Like, the yeah. longest my brother was in the hospital, I think, was a month and a half. Wow. And that was, like, they did not want him there, no. but he could not. He wasn't stabilized. Yeah. Um, but they do. They it, they want the turnover to be as quick as possible because they are trying to open up beds. They are trying mm-hmm. to. It costs too much money for him to be there. And, like. The worst thing that happened was um, my um, my parents made a promise to him. I think it was the fourth time he had a psychotic break that they wouldn't hospitalize him. Yeah. But, like, increasingly, I was like, I don't care if you made a promise to him. Yeah, like, you, you he needs to go to the hospital. So they convinced a doctor to prescribe an antipsychotic. He said he would take it, mm-hmm. but if, he, if they didn't go to the hospital. So he gets prescribed this antipsychotic. It was all, like, magical that it even happened. Mm-hmm. And then the insurance said no. They said no. It's an antipsychotic, by the way. It's like yeah. not like you know. It's 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 yeah. not Tylenol with yeah. you know codeine. Like mm-hmm. take it down a notch. So they said no, uh-huh. and so then they went back and fought it. It took four days to fight it, and he got so bad. Yeah, and he started. You know what I mean? He started like doing like he, he set the living room on fire. Yeah. Like some yeah. shit went <laughs> down in those four days. Yeah, and they had to hospitalize him. <sighs> You know what I mean? And he got yeah. worse. And he got picked up by the cops and that type. Like, all this mm-hmm. stuff happened. And you were like, this is why people get murdered. Like, also, yeah. my parents are in, you know, like, my brother, my brother is incredible. My brother would hurt nobody. But he wasn't my brother at those points. And yeah. I had to tell that to my parents. Like, you're in a house with a stranger. Yeah. And he likes knives. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. my <laughs> brother has a ni- knife collection. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. even today, he still plays with his butterfly knife. Yeah. It's like, there were there were points where I'm like... I don't feel comfortable being alone with my brother. Yeah. So it was one of those things where it was just like you you have a you have a very sick stranger in your house. Yeah. 
that we had a small window that he said he was going to accept medication. And then this insurance company, because they didn't want to pay the money, no, fully knowing mm-hmm. that he is a danger to himself and others, yeah. said no. And then you look at, you know, I'm not, I mean, guns are a problem. Yeah. But then you look at some of these things that happen and you're like, it's, it's j- I mean, I was even talking to a friend. She's like, um, she's a WWE wrestler. I actually record, I, um, uh, did a podcast with her. Sure. I started a podcast with the Jed Foundation. Okay. It's a mental illness awareness and suicide prevention oh, awesome. uh, foundation. So I started a podcast with them and I interviewed um, AJ Mendez. She oh, was okay. um, a WWE wrestler and she wrote a book called uh, Crazy is My Superpower. Yeah. Brilliant book. It was about her and her mom both being diagnosed with bipolar at the mm-hmm. same time. Um, but she's based out of Chicago. So I um, mm-hmm. had lunch with her when I was there yesterday. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about kind of like, you know, these kind of crazy fans and like people kind of go after you and so she had a stalker and she told the police like hey this guy is literally taking pictures of me walking across the street and it's harassing me and doing all this stuff and they were like can't can't do anything i was like so when when can you do something Mm -hmm. after she's murdered is that when you can do something after she's attacked but it feels the same way with and and i'm sure that's mental illness this guy's stalking her so it feels like the same thing with with this which is like my my brother's not okay yeah. and we're saying he's not okay and there's medication to help him be okay mm-hmm. and the this insurance that my parents pay yeah. money for go ah it's so expensive though yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like if and then whose responsibility yeah. is it going to be if some my brother does hurt somebody yeah or if somebody does get hurt whose fault is it is it my mm-hmm. parents they were trying to give him care mm-hmm. is it the ins- health insurance company is it but then it's just like well this couldn't be prevented but there's seven people saying that it could have yeah there's doctors and yep. people there's all these people trying so it's like we're fortunate that nothing bad happened but there's so many people that aren't yeah yeah and it's just i mean it's extremely broken i mean all of our health insurance is a broken yeah. system but you know people that don't get their medication on time hopefully you know they still survive and they find other mm-hmm. ways and i've i've dealt with my own issues with health insurance companies and they have done i mean they are hurting people yeah. but like when it's this like you have a window mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean four days you have four days come just quick do it come on yeah, yeah. it's I, I i have nothing positive to yeah. say <laughs> <laughs> that's that's okay and like i feel like a lot of it comes down to the fact like since we do live in a capitalist society, we view hospitals as a business as opposed to a public service. Yeah. Which, like, and I've talked to people, because I'm, you know, from Minnesota, and they're all very, you know, kind of conservative there, That where I was like, being a doctor is a public service. And they're like, no. I'm like, well, what do you mean, no, yeah. it is, it should be. Yeah. It always has been. This in- Okay. So I very much agree. The insurance is stupid and bad. Yeah. Um, I do have a question for you, and it is, um, most mental illness is genetic. Are you worried all the time? Or or you just, like, because I know I would be, and yeah. I was before I got it, my diagnosis. It was kind of weird. I got my diagnosis, and I was relieved. I was like, yeah. okay, fine. Oh, good. We're good. We know what's going on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was. I mean, yeah. I was. I still can be. Um, mm-hmm. I truly... You know what's weird is I always was waiting for what happened to my brother to happen to me. Sure. Like, I knew enough about my family, and, you know, it... I I spent most of my teenage years and my early 20s literally waiting. Mm-hmm. And when I would have, like, these episodes, like, these depressive episodes being mm-hmm. like, this is, this is it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Brace for impact. It's gonna happen. Um, yeah. 
and then it, it didn't and I would always I was like I, I kind of do this like thing where like when I'm insecure mm-hmm. or anxious about something I just read everything oh, sure. to either support that I am right and I am going to lose my mind or this is a, this a problem yeah. or I'm I'm wrong and I'm being crazy for different reasons yeah. and and I need to calm down so it's like mm-hmm. it's almost like information as a co- like a, a calming system and a sure. coping mechanism so you know it, it um in a lot of ways, if a lot of this stuff was going to happen, it should have happened before I was 25. Not to say yeah. that it couldn't, and not to, and it is deeply ingrained in me. Um, I was, tr- I did a lot of drugs when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of times we were supposed to do like acid and like other stuff, mm-hmm. and we never got our hands on it. Mm-hmm. And now looking back, I'm very grateful. Yeah, because that could have sparked it. Like uh, there's, I'm, I would say I'm 90% sure my brother's drug use mm-hmm. is what kind of took this to the next level mm-hmm. who's to say i mean he had a lot of symptoms before he started doing drugs um that he could have this could have happened regardless but he, he upped his drug use yeah. um and was doing a lot of like psychedelics yeah. when he was a freshman so we don't have and i you know what's funny is i sat mm. my brother down because he was smoking a lot of pot in high school um and you know he's always smoking and stuff like that and i did that too but i basically was like we don't have the brain chemistry for you to be doing psychedelics because I already mm-hmm. knew that it could like by the time I was you know in my late twenties that it's not good, and he went and he did them and mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's I'm not victim blaming I'm not like you know yeah. whatever because it could have happened anyway and mm-hmm. the truth is is you know have your fun, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I I think in a lot of ways it could have it might have sparked it yeah and, and um and and that makes me sad yeah but. I don't know. I I feel I kind of I mean I kind of have my diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I mean like I have, you know, general generalized anxiety disorder mm-hmm. which is, you know, in the beginning I was like okay. <laughs> like I was like <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and I think even today I'm still learning about mm-hmm. it and seeing how it comes together. And now yeah. I can just say like oh I'm really anxious or you know, mm-hmm. this is causing me anxiety and it's like it's, you know, the same way I have to say I have to pee. Like yeah. I don't think anything of it and For I don't sure. It doesn't bother me. Um, I fought being diagnosed with OCD, especially because I have a close friend that has like, like, like what you think by the book OCD. Yes. Yeah. Like, and and it's really um, made his life extremely difficult, and it's been yeah. like a, aggressive. And I don't have that. I don't mm-hmm. feel anything towards germs whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I do. I do get triggered and go into these cycles, and mm-hmm. I can't get out of them. And um, in some ways, I mean, both my anxiety and my OCD, there's positivities. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I obsess over a joke and it gets better. And, yeah. you know, I obsess over a problem and I fix it. Mm-hmm. But I also obsess over things that aren't there. <laughs> yeah. And, and and ruin many days and weeks. Mm. Um, I I don't know if I have some, like, low form of, like, bipolar 2 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I've definitely had depressive episodes Mm -hmm. weirdly enough i was on birth control for 12 years i went off it almost four years ago Mm -hmm. and i haven't been depressed since wow and they just started coming out with articles um about two years ago about the link between depression and hormones especially birth control and so just the same way that i think that psychedelics kind of pushed my brother over the edge i think there's something about being on extra hormones as a woman that it made it much easier for me to dip into these depressions because i get sad i cry i have emotions Mm -hmm. and you know who's to know because i've been through eight years of therapy and maybe that's helped me but truthfully certain worst things have happened since being off birth control that haven't dipped me down into the same mm-hmm. depressions that they would 
most of them were like something would happen and I would dip into them, but I mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to get out of them. Yeah. And I would just sit there in them for months at a time. Mm-hmm. And um, I haven't had that since I went off birth control. So mm-hmm. a part of me thinks that we have such a fragile coding yeah, that makes yeah. us so susceptible that you put a little bit of drugs in us you of any yeah. kind really and it it shifts things absolutely um significantly so brains are dumb they are they're finicky and <laughs> <bad>. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um though and like i said i'm dyslexic as well yeah. like the wiring on us is not it's good, not good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, um. <laughs> I'm with you as well i'm like moderately dyslexic and dysgraphic so yeah. i'm with you as well it's just like i i talk to people and I say I have this and this and this, and they're like, "What? I'm so sorry." And I'm like, "Yeah, it's kind of a bundle, but everything else about me is okay." Yeah, I think, like, think. personality-wise, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm all right. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and you start crying. Yeah, <laughs> immediately. But like, I mean, yeah. especially when I look at my family history, yeah. I, you know, to be like, oh, I get nervous on planes. <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? And I fix things. It's like, it's like I have no real problems in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, and. Um, I can identify them. I can say that I'm triggered by something or that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in a cycle. Um, doesn't mean I can always get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm aware of myself in some ways when I get depressed. But like I said, it has not been as in-depth in the last four years as it That's used to good. be. So um, I don't really know what I am in that sense. And I always say, like, the way – really the way genetics work in general from all my reading is that mm-hmm. it's a switch. Just because your mom – um, has a history of cancer yeah. and maybe my family has a history of heart disease doesn't mean you are yeah. but if you are you know eating the wrong foods or living a high stress life you can flip on the switch and some people switch are easier to flip on than others sure. so if you don't have heart disease you know you would really have to do a lot of shit to flip on that heart disease switch but yeah. if somebody does it has a generational thread of heart disease it might just be a little bit easier and you could be like moderately healthy and they'd be like nah you still gotta get it (laughs) (laughs) so i feel like we have a very light mental illness switch that like i said just a little bit of estrogen you're gonna be sad now Mm -hmm. and just a little bit of fun you're gonna be crazy now (laughs) like it's like it feels like my family is which i mean i have jokes about it where Mm -hmm. it's just like you know Somebody was just like, you know, you're going to get cancer if you keep doing that. And I'm like, not in my family. <laughs> Nobody might. We kill ourselves. Nobody <laughs> in my family's died of cancer. <laughs> I was like, that seems like a you problem. <laughs> you're projecting. Do you know what that means? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, uh, do you think, like, you kind of were talking about how you're, you've alluded to how your early life is a little tumultuous and that sort of thing. Do you think the obsessive compulsive comes from that? Like you're trying to fix a problem that's not there anymore or is that a little too Freudian? Um, I think my dad's OCD and doesn't okay. know it. Um, okay. I definitely think there's like, cause my dad's dyslexic and he gave it to all five of his kids. Nice. Um, you know, crazy mm-hmm. both sides. So they definitely hand We have very strong, like everybody gets everything. <laughs> um, just a um, bunch of carbon copies. Just yeah, <laughs> my dad's a my dad's definitely a fixer, and my dad's mm-hmm. very like this is how it is. And then yeah. when I got older, I'm just like that's so annoying. And then people are like, hey, you should move this over here. I'm like, no, it doesn't go there. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, I'm going. So it's like it's like less that I'm becoming my father as much as I'm like coming like to the full fruition of my diseases. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just be- like I read, and then, like some of it's like I mean, I think it's and like I said, like certain things. Um, certain situations in people's lives like so the uh, the biggest thing they say for like mental illness that i was always aware of is Mm -hmm. um traumatic events can make it 
kind of almost turn on in some ways. Yeah. And one of the ones they listed is childbirth. And I was like, what? I was like, what? That's supposed to be like natural and beautiful. What the hell? Um, but like a car accident, like you can go through a car accident or somebody really important to you can die. Like mm-hmm. you can you can be fine and then something traumatic can kind of switch it on. So um, I don't know. I think having a difficult childhood in a lot of ways probably made it come out like you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's it's so hard because it's like how much of this is like a personality type in some ways and how much of it is you know an illness and like Mm -hmm. i mean i feel very fortunate that right now my problems are like anxiety ocd and being sad sometimes like (laughs) in the scheme of things like I you know those are the ones to pick like yeah. you know what I mean like <laughs> they're very acceptable to by society yeah, yeah like I'm anxious so I I worry about what I say so I'm not an asshole that's yeah. pretty positive and I'm OCD mm. and I'm very organized and my mm. emails read beautiful without yeah. spelling mistakes those that I can't help but everything else mm-hmm. is like I know what I'm talking about I've made sure mm. I know what I'm talking about sure. and then you know you get sad and then because of that you're more empathetic to other people being yeah. sad and you know there's positivities to these things yeah and everyone's a little sad now with the way the world's yeah, going oh God. so like if you're not sad i judge you yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah yep yeah so there are definitely worse w- things for sure um yeah well well <laughs> we, we just start crying yeah it's like the third time you said that I do feel a little bummed out today, and yeah, it's oh no. nice that you're picking up on that. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm no, no. sorry. It's all right. It's no big deal, because you know you learn to live with it. And yeah. Like the thing is, like, there's a lot of there are a lot of positives, like you were saying too. You know, you become more like my social anxiety makes sure I'm very polite all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, please, thank you. Okay, this yeah. person doesn't hurt me. Okay, yeah. that's fine. But it's it's weird as well. Like um, with the way your anxiety manifests, you, is it like a switch where you think you're going to you're going to die, or is it just light stuff? Do you get anxious before you go on stage? Do you r- do rituals before you go on stage? Um, that was a lot of questions. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, so I used to have a lot of panic attacks. Oh, yeah? Um, I don't have them. I think the last. I don't know because they, they some are bigger than others, and sure. how do you gauge? And some it took me a long time to even label some of them as panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like how we have anxiety attacks and then panic attacks. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, it's like, you know, Reese's and, I would, and Butterfinger. Yeah, I would put my panic attacks under my anxiety. Yeah. Um, like my panic attacks, I think the last big one I had was like maybe two years ago. Okay. And that one was sparked out of nothing, which I don't mm-hmm. have a lot of those. Usually something happens that, you know, somebody says something or something happens yeah. and that sparks it. Sure. This was like, I went into a bathroom and I immediately thought someone was going to try to kill me and oh, I just wow. started like crying. And I was like literally talking to my friend, like we were in a movie theater, I was talking to my friend, it just finished, talking mm-hmm. about Louis C.K. and how he can't act. And then <laughs> and then I go into a bathroom and I immediately think someone's gonna hurt me, I can't pee, and then I just stood in the middle of the steps, because I didn't want to be murdered, and I thought maybe I wouldn't be murdered if people saw me. Yeah. In the middle of the steps crying, waiting for my friend. Wow. And that was two years ago. Well. And then he was like, are you okay? And I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I kept being like, just walk with me. And then eventually he just sat and held my hand. Mm-hmm. And he's not the like he's one of my best friends, but he's not the most like, you know, empathetic. Dude. Yeah, or like understanding. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, just stay there. Yeah. And he just held my hand, and I was like, it was a good choice. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And it was almost it was almost like how nice he was was shocking and was helpful 
to overcoming the panic attack. Because <laughs> I was like, wait Aww. a minute. <laughs> I was like, Prakash, this is so nice. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean... I can get anxious before a show. And it's funny, like, people used to be like, um, this doing stand-up ever make you nervous? Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, unless it's something big, like a big audition I want, or like a TV show where, like, I have to be on point. Yeah. Um, not really, but that's actually not true. Like, I, I find myself, I would say, like, 30% of the time there are little things, like if I'm trying a new joke, but yeah. there's people around that I, you know, don't want them to think I'm not funny or, yeah. like... You know, if there's a friend there and I want to do a good job, but I'm like in my head or like Mm -hmm. if I'm really tired and I was like fumbling talking to people before and now I have to be like on point. Mm -hmm. So I'll see like, you know, I I wear a lot of rings. I love jewelry. So like I'll I'll brainlessly like play with my rings or I'll chug water. Mm -hmm. Like I always am trying to like make sure my throat is as clear as but like I'll do these things to excessiveness to kind of... um, almost like distracts myself but it's not conscious mm-hmm. i only started realizing and like they're not much but like mm-hmm. you know everybody kind of paces a little bit but there's like i do like fidgety things mm-hmm. to kind of i guess it's a way to kind of get rid of the energy because you're kind of whatever but like i really i don't think i'm I get more nervous having to tell somebody they hurt my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then being like, your feelings are stupid. Yep. And I hate you. And this then I'm interpersonal like, connection yeah. is more important than whether or not they laugh. Yeah. Because yeah. a part of me is like, you know, the truth of the matter is, is if they don't laugh, I have a show in another hour or exactly. show tomorrow. And no I'll one start, died. Yeah. Start again. But like, if I tell somebody like, hey, you hurt this and I hurt my feelings. And they're like, well, I don't care. And then I'm like, oh, I just lost a friend today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a For bummer. Sure. <laughs> And I think the way I, I you know, I, I, I have a lot of anxiety as well. And the way I always look at it is like if when you're anxious normally, the baseline of like going up to be anxious in front of talking to people isn't that much. It's like going from like 50% to 55% anxiety. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it's just like, okay, now I'm just more aware and hopefully that'll actually make me be able to riff more or whatever it's it is also you do. organized like if i yeah. go into a conversation i don't know what you're gonna ask me i don't know mm-hmm. how you know what i mean there's all this it's oh yeah but like this is controlled yeah. like i have a plan mm-hmm. you know what i mean if it doesn't sure. go according to plan it's done at a certain amount of time mm-hmm. like there's everything about that like you know i've always had control issues and as you start to understand anxiety it makes mm-hmm. sense if i know like you know my my uk agent always makes fun of me because they're like the newest kind of part of my team so i've been with them for like a year and a half and you know they'll tell me about a gig and keep in mind like if i do a gig in chicago it's like well i know how to get to jfk i know most of the airports in chicago i mean i know kind of how the ubers and lifts work and stuff but Mm -hmm. if i'm going to sweden like i don't speak the language (laughs) i don't know where i'm going yeah you know i for sure everything's kind of new so i get really kind of like Hey, what time am I landing? Who's picking me up? Mm-hmm. You know, is Svetlana tall? Is she short? What are we doing here? Like, yeah. I want all the information. So, like, he's gotten <laughs> used to the fact that he's, like, he literally be like, hey, this is all I know. I will get you all the information. Because <laughs> yeah. he knows that I kind of, I need it all. I write it all down. I read uh. it a couple of times. Like, it calms me when I go mm. into something that I'm not used to. Mm-hmm. Not thinking about the show. I'm thinking about landing. Yeah. <laughs> thinking about getting to my hotel. Yep. I'm thinking about how to get to the show. <laughs> Once I'm at the show, I'm like, if it doesn't go well, this isn't my problem. <laughs> that's so good. But that's like, it's weird. That's the stuff that. Yeah. Like, even flying, like, I thought I was nervous to fly. I'm not. I don't care about flying. TSA keeps oh, me up at night. Wow. 
authority somebody mm-hmm. telling me like i can't bring my shampoo like yeah. that stuff or like losing a bag mm-hmm. or like what any- if they don't let me on the plane oh that's happened to me several times yeah, yeah. and it actually helps to have it happen several times because you're like how will i react not well <laughs> good to know breakdown mental breakdown um mental breakdown with a plan but mental breakdown yes <laughs> but and that's and that's the other thing is like you know i started traveling more and mm-hmm like anything the more you do something so i'm sure i was a absolute mess when i first started doing stand-up and was constantly nervous but you know now 15 years in yeah it's i, I don't get nervous to shower i don't get as <laughs> nervous you know what i mean yeah to 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 tell jokes so the sure. same thing with traveling is you know i used to only drive and so when i drove to 90 percent of my gigs mm-hmm. again a lot of control you know there's still traffic and stuff but it's still i wake up when i want to i can give myself a certain amount of time to get there I can take breaks when i want to take breaks um but then flying you start to lose control and you don't know what time you're gonna land or if something delays or you're not gonna mm-hmm. miss your thing you know so even that has kind of you have enough things go wrong you know how to prepare for things mentally to go wrong okay if yeah. i lose this i can still get a rental car and drive there mm-hmm. if i need to or if that doesn't work out you know it's not really that much money and you know mm-hmm. storms do happen and like you start to be able to kind of calm yourself for things that haven't happened yet yeah. which is half of what anxiety is yes. <laughs> <laughs> um so what i to the thought i had is art's not scary life is I uh, completely agree. Yeah. Great bumper sticker. <laughs> yes. Um, and you, you've done therapy. What kind of therapy did you do? And what would be the biggest nugget to come out of therapy that you'd want to pass on to people? Um, I should know what therapy I'm in. <laughs> okay. I definitely have read what the different types are. Um, mm-hmm. I'll probably just tell you what it is and you can probably tell me what it is. It's sure. basically me just talking about my day and then she'll talk about my past and how that connects. Okay. So what's talk- going on now and to... Did you say just talking? Talk therapy. Yeah, 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 yeah. But isn't there like certain ones where like people like all they do is talk about your past and then there's ones Psychoanalyst. where... Psychoanalyst. Yeah, like it's yeah. not like that. Although she mm-hmm. will bring up like if I'm saying like something, she'll be like, what does that remind you of? And I'll mm-hmm. be like, my mother. Let <laughs> <laughs> me talk about that for a while. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, we yeah, I basically, I go in and I talk at her face and sure. then she says stuff back. And okay. I've, I mean, I basically... I can't even say I've been consistent, consistently seeing her eight years because I get so busy that I'll go yeah. months without seeing her. And, you know, if especially if I am traveling a lot, I might do like a phone session. But for the most part, I try to go times without her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she had a baby, which I um, blame her <laughs> for that. Um, and that was <laughs> difficult. That was a difficult time in my life. Um, I wrote several jokes about that. Mm-hmm. Um this baby is getting more attention. Than yeah, I am. yeah, no, exactly. Mm-hmm. I basically I wrote like five jokes about mental illness and then I apologize to the audience and I go hey the only reason I started writing this stuff is because my therapist went on maternity <laughs> leave and now my childhood is everybody's problem that's <laughs> very good and then I just blame her for like 10 minutes um <laughs> I told her she knows she knows when I blame her good but um yeah I I was a follow-up question what's, what, what what's the one thing well what are a oh, few things that you'd want to pass people you know what's interesting? I've been trying to get my parents to go into therapy yeah. uh, for years because this is their fault. And um, <laughs> so and you have been through therapy, yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and this is the interesting thing is like I don't blame my parents. Like I think they're wonderful people, and they did the best they did the best they could. Yeah. But truthfully, a lot of my damage mm-hmm. is their unresolved issues. Sure. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the like my dad's definitely a dry drunk. My dad mm. doesn't drink. 
Mm-hmm. But my dad is a dry drunk because mm-hmm. his grandfather was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, there's a lot of habits that I have as a dry drunk because I was raised by this dry drunk. If I mm-hmm. said the word dry drunk to my father, he'd be like, what? I don't drink. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, both both my parents lost their grandmothers yeah. when, or their mothers when they were um, in their early 20s to suicide. Wow. Yeah. They have never dealt with it. They have never really talked about it. Okay. Um, that's even just to lose and they were also sick most of their lives so my dad Mm -hmm. took my dad was the oldest of five and took care of his siblings and my mom was the youngest of three and i just found out recently nobody told her she was like in college and she kept calling home and nobody told her that her mother was in the hospital because she tried to kill herself and then eventually died nobody told her yeah and then two years later, my mom got married and had a child. So my mother like lost her mother in like the most traumatic event. Yeah. And then she immediately became a mother. And so there's a part of me like, my mom wasn't the best mom. My mom's awesome. I love my mom. I think she's incredible. And yeah. both my parents, I think, are incredible people. Uh, she's not the most maternal. Yeah. She's not the most open. I mean, I've learned to accept that as an adult. But there's a seven-year-old that's like, hello. Yeah. <laughs> hello. <laughs> so. Yeah. The biggest thing that I have always i mean my mom especially when my brother was really bad and my mom was losing her own mind because my brother was really bad she went to therapy for a little bit and yeah. i in some ways i thought that was the silver lining of all this i was like if this if sammy got her into therapy maybe this all happened for a reason uh-huh she didn't stick with it but like you know my dad thinks it's just like what am i just gonna tell somebody somebody's gonna tell me what to do and i'm just gonna talk about my day and i was like oh dad come on man you're so smart mm-hmm. why would you think that all mm-hmm. your kids are in therapy mm-hmm. why would you think that <laughs> um <laughs> But I, I think the best thing for me, I mean, initially, like I said, when I first started seeing this other therapist that wasn't that great, it just helped to be like, hey, I think I might be crazy and I think my whole family might be crazy, but I'm scared mm. to tell yeah. people that. And it just felt good to tell somebody like all my fears. Yeah. And then it started to be like, well, why is that something I'm ashamed of? Or mm. why is that something that's bad? Or, you know, why are my parents this way? And why am I this way? And... um you know what are because like there's some meme something on instagram yeah you know and i'm gonna butcher it but it was something like um a lot of times when you don't like yourself Mm -hmm. it's because you're behaving in ways that you wish you wouldn't Mm -hmm. so you know for me i would have these outbursts you know what i mean like i was very closed off so like i wouldn't um tell anybody how i felt i always people pleaser you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i would just do whatever it took for people to like me But, you know, I'm getting my feelings hurt or somebody's doing something or somebody's blowing me off or all these things are getting triggered. I'm not really registering it completely in the moment, but it's building. Mm -hmm. And then all it takes is that one little thing where it's just like, hey, I know we're going to go to the movies, but blah, blah, blah wants to do this. So Mm -hmm. I'll see you next week. And then it's like, wow. And I would have these outbursts. I would have these meltdowns. And my mom used to have them. My dad used to have them. Half my siblings have them never felt good didn't feel good when i was a kid definitely didn't feel good as a teenager and then it really didn't feel good when strangers saw them and it felt like i was out of control and it's that shame bubble afterwards like in the moment you're just like my feelings are hurt and everybody will pay (laughs) yeah (laughs) but then afterwards you see people's eyes you see them judging you you see people like that girl's crazy like that look that people give you that are like Mm -hmm. crazy Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that's probably one of the most hurtful things yeah and so 
through therapy, it was kind of figuring out why I don't tell people my feelings or why I'm even hurt to begin with or what that stuff means and kind of pulling back the layers, whether it was because of my childhood or it was because of something that happened when I was in my early 20s or an ex-boyfriend or whatever, whatever the reason is. And some of it, like I said, isn't even my issues. It's something my parents programmed from their issues. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, I didn't even know that was a hang up I had or where I would even develop that hang up. But I don't really have them anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, and so now when somebody hurts my feelings, I can be like, hey, I, I, I know you didn't mean that, but, and you probably wouldn't even know, but mm-hmm. when you say that, it, it really makes me sad. Yeah. And the fact that I've been able to surround myself with people that go, oh, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. I won't do that. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's yeah. weird. Yeah. I was telling my boyfriend, I was like. I don't think I was dateable three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Like, like you know, we always talk about it where it's just like, you know, we're kind of similar age. We like, yeah. you always like, when you, especially certain people, you're kind of always like kind of on the stem of being part of that circle, but it wasn't until this moment that we met. Yeah. And it was just like, I joked with him. I was just like, do you think we would have dated in high school? Mm-hmm. And he goes, he's like, you're kind of my type. I would have dated you. I was like, we would have broke up in like a month. Uh-huh. No <laughs> you would have found out how batshit crazy I was. <laughs> And it's like, I still have my moments and whatever, but like even this relationship, I've been with them for almost a year and a half. It's like, there's not anything, there's not a situation that I haven't handled that I haven't been proud of. That's wonderful. Yeah. To kind of go, you know, that upset me mm-hmm. and I handled it the best I could. Yeah. And we've, we've had talks, but we've never had like a fight. Like I've yeah. never been like, well, fuck you. Yeah. You always do this and da 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 And not to say I don't have moments where he's like texting me and I'm just like come on man yeah yeah but i don't ever You're a human being yeah but i've like there's no passive aggressive text mm-hmm. there's no you know you always do this it's like you know what he's at work mm-hmm. we'll deal with this later yep and like half the time i see him in person he doesn't even know he hurt my feelings he yeah. has no idea mm-hmm. it wasn't like because for me everything feels like an attack yeah. and then you meet the person or you see the person and they're just like how was your day and you're like oh i thought you hated me the whole day the whole day <laughs> i was gonna tell you what a piece of shit you were because you hated me <laughs> And so you start to realize this kind of like my like and that was half of what damage was like there is a filter like I always say I have a broken filter. Mm-hmm. Instagram has really changed my life in a way that I don't think they realize. OK, because it gave it gives me the dialogue to explain how my brain works. Sure. Which is like everybody sees this sunset. Yeah. And then you kind of put this filter on it and you mm-hmm. make like the sun brighter or you mm-hmm. make like the ocean bluer or whatever. Mm-hmm. I have these like everyone hates me filters yeah. <laughs> or I did something wrong. Or I'm the worst filters. Yeah. And they're on every picture. Yeah. And I can never take them off. Wow. So a lot of times I will just go, ah, a person doesn't like me. And mm-hmm. it's helped to have certain friends that go, just talking to that person, they think you're the greatest. Yeah. And I'll be like, really? I don't know yeah. why. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's certain things where like now, you know, you know certain people, you can have the self-talk to be like, this is your filter. Mm-hmm. It's not reality. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of helped me to be like, I have these broken filters that I have to very carefully and meticulously take off so that I can kind of see the real picture because most of the time I don't see the real picture. And so if I go through being like, my gut reaction is to be like, but if I stop for a second go, is this really happening or is this Mm -hmm. my filter? Mm -hmm. I can kind of usually pull back and like 80% of the time it's my filter. Yeah. 80% of the time. And that's when you really start to like look at it and do the math, you're just like, how many people have I fucking freaked out at? Like, mm-hmm. I apologized to this dude I dated a little while ago to be like, hey, 
I I mean, I think you were a little bit of an asshole, but I think I was also a crazy person. I'm sorry, yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And he never wrote me back, and it's whatever. And I was like, so it was me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, was like a, it was like the ultimate, like, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I did that. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's fine. <laughs> that was five years ago, so you're right. <laughs> That's excellent. Well, we are at about an hour. Sweet. So I'd like to thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Where can people find you and all that? Do your plugging stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, everything's Liz Mealy. So Liz Mealy.com, M-I-E-L-E, uh, at Liz Mealy. I'm on all the things. On um, all the things. My favorite thing is Instagram. That's yes. the only thing I do for myself. Um, yep. I just filter pictures of cats, so <laughs> I don't actually recommend people follow me. Okay. Um, but it is... Um, Unless you like cats. Yeah, no, and beautiful cats. I really, I think I do a great, I do some great framing. Um, <laughs> I tour a lot, so it's a lot of like international kitties. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, no, these are foreign cats, okay? <laughs> these cats, these cats are beautiful. Um, these are like original cats. I saw a cat in Egypt. I was like, you are an original. Um, you made all the other cats. Um, god cat cat god but yeah everything's everything's liz mealy um if you want to see damaged it's on my my youtube which is mm-hmm. just backslash liz mealy um mm-hmm. yeah it's all Wonderful. that i have two albums you can listen mm-hmm. to them or not and what was that podcast that you did for that oh so i started it i don't know how many episodes are gonna happen but uh the mm-hmm. first one came out it's called jed voices j-e-d mm-hmm. voices and then uh the first interview was with uh aj mendez and mm-hmm. she's known as aj lee from the wwe okay yeah it's oh have to have a listen to that please do yeah thank you again thank you today i decided i'd be okay i'll be my old self and my damaged ways i don't care if i'm broken i don't care if i'm rusted I won't go down busted Today I decided I'd be okay I'll be my old self And my dad